Well, this morning, you guys, um, I want to share just out of Matthew chapter 6, kind of build on something that Pastor Steve had already mentioned. So um, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6, and I'm just going to read a couple of verses. If you don't have a Bible, we always have extras. You can raise your hand. We'll bring you one. Feel free to keep it, take it home. We want everyone to have a Bible. Um, but find Matthew chapter 6, first book in the New Testament, and uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 16. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. And I'd like to do this. I like this from time to time. Um, I want us all to stand right now. Go ahead and stand up. Um, because sometimes I think it's good to just, in a, in a way to honor God's word and give attention to God's word, stand at attention. Um, I'll read, but let's just uh, listen and give attention to God's word. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. Jesus speaking. And when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. But truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And Father, we want to pray right now that you would... um, Really illuminate this text for us, Lord, as I mentioned earlier, Lord. I'm sure a lot of us have read this, but I pray you give us kind of a fresh take on it. Lord, a fresh um, application. Lord, that you would challenge us. Lord, that you would encourage us. Because, Lord, we really do want to know you better and serve you better. So we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. Yeah, well, as Pastor Steve had mentioned, you guys, I want to talk this morning about probably one of the most neglected, um, misunderstood, but possibly one of the most powerful aspects of our entire Christian walk. I want to talk about fasting. And I know this is like risky business. You're like, wait a minute. We're not even through the hall. We're like smack dab. I still have prime rib and mashed potatoes. In fact, my second lunch today is going to be heated up prime rib and mashed potatoes or fourth dinner, however it works. But so I realize that there's a lot of food left in the fridge and that we're still kind of in stuff our face mode. But there is a method to the madness. The reason, like Pastor Steve alluded to, um, that we're bringing up this idea of fasting and why I'm teaching on fasting is because as you come to the, uh, you know, Christmas time and you wrap up Christmas and you're staring down the barrel of a new year, it's just this natural time where you're kind of evaluating the, the, the year that's gone by. And guys, can you believe that we've already done another year? It's crazy. And now we're staring down the barrel of a whole nother year, 2020. And it's like, man, it just lends itself to a great time of year to reflect on the good, the bad, and the ugly of, of the last year. But to say, Lord, what do you want for the new year? And to kind of hit the spiritual reset button, say, God, what would you have me to be like? What would you want me to change? What do you want me to do in this upcoming year? And one of the best ways to do that, many churches, many individuals and people just in general, take this time of year to just say, Lord, we want to seek you. And that's kind of what we're kind of presenting to the church right now. Like, we'll talk more about the schedule for the upcoming week. But I want to encourage you individually. I want to encourage us as a church Let's go into this new year, not just kind of rolling into it, but saying, God, what do you want from me this year? What are you doing this year? And a great great way to do that is to say, Lord, I want to set aside some time to pray 
and to fast. And I want to talk about fasting because I know, like some of you, like I mentioned the word fasting, you're like, oh, I'm not that kind of Christian. You know, or like we categorize that like, like oh, oh, I'm not super Christian. I thought you knew that. Um, or I would go to a different church. Um, so we kind of like automatically dismiss that or we have preconceived ideas about what fasting is. And we're going to talk kind of pretty thoroughly, not exhaustively, but thoroughly about what fasting is. But before we do that, let me deal with a little bit of the context of what we read. That passage that I read to you from, those words of Jesus, you probably recognize them if you've read your Bible. Um, those are from the famous Sermon on the Mount. How many of you guys have heard of the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah, so that was like the, one of the famous teachings that Jesus gave, probably, by the way, the, repeat, the repeated teaching that Jesus gave. Not just that one time, but he probably repeated that same teaching over and over as he went throughout Galilee and other areas. The context of when he's teaching here, what he's dealing with, if you actually were to look back at chapter 6, verse 1, he's actually warning people. He says, look, beware, and I'm going to paraphrase, beware of doing your acts of righteousness in such a way that you're doing it to be seen by other people. Does that make sense? He's saying, look, don't show off spiritually. And that was a real problem with the religious elite of the day. That's kind of a problem of our, our own flesh and our sinful nature is to kind of want to look more spiritual than we are. And he's warning them saying, look, don't do your acts of righteousness in such a way that you're kind of letting everybody else see it. And then he gives some examples of prayer and fasting and giving. And that's what he's talking about here. When he gets to fasting, he says, look, when you fast, don't, don't, like, let everybody know about it, but do it in a way that's just between you and the Lord. The religious community at that day, and I'll probably mention this again later, um, especially the Pharisees, had taken this one commandment in Leviticus 23 about fasting, and they had kind of turned it into a weekly thing instead of a once-a-year thing. They're, like, fasting every week, which, nothing wrong with that. I think it was Tuesday. They took Tuesday and they fasted. But they would do it in such a way where they would, like, put on sackcloth and ashes like they were mourning and they would like not brush their hair that morning or put on deodorant or whatever. They'd come out and be like, eh. what's wrong, bro? You okay? No, 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 no. It's fine. I'm, I'm fasting because I'm holy, you know, and they would say with an old English accent, you know. And, and, and he, basically Jesus is like, don't do that. You know, you're just, you've got your reward. You're wanting everybody else to think you're Joe Holy and, and, and don't do it with that motive. And that's kind of the context of, of what Jesus is speaking about here. But what I'd like to do is, is kind of maybe pull back from that and get a 30,000-foot view of fasting as, as, a, as a topic. And so if you want to jot some things down, it might be helpful if you've ever wondered about this or, or wanted to consider it. So let's talk about fasting. Let's start with, um, let me just start with this and kind of back to the text. Um, what Jesus says about fasting here the, the main thing I want to point out is actually very, very simple. And yet it's very, very profound. He says something like this. He says this. When you fast, now pause. Before Jesus talked about fasting, and we, by the way, always couple fasting with prayer, and we're going to deal with that in a moment. But he says, when you fast, but before he started talking about fasting, you know what's interesting? He talked about prayer. In fact, if you were to go back and read the verses I didn't read in chapter 6, three times he says this. When you pray, dot, 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 later on, when you pray, dot, 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 and then one more time, when you pray, dot, 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 and he fills in some of the blanks. But the operative phrase there is what? When you pray. What is that communicating? Jesus was communicating this, 
he was evidently assuming that it would be a very normal practice for his followers to pray. Is that a safe thing to, to conclude, yes or no? He was, by, by virtue of the fact that he says, when you pray, and he says it three times, he's suggesting or assuming um, that it would be a normative practice for those who are followers of Jesus to pray. And we would say that too. Yeah, that's totally a normal thing that you pray. And he emphasizes prayer. And, um, but then he just says something else. In chapter 6, verse 16 and 17, he says, and when you fast. Uh-oh. And when you fast. What does that conclude? Same thing. Evidently, Jesus not only concluded that he would assume that it would be a normal practice for us to pray as believers, as Christians, Jesus evidently assumed it would be an absolutely normal practice for his followers to fast. Do you guys understand what I'm, what I'm saying? So fasting, now I don't know about you, but for the longest time and for most of my adult Christian life, fasting was not really a part of my normal Christian experience. I, I think it's one of those things, at least in the Western church, that, as I said earlier, has really been neglected or maybe construed a little bit or, or taken out of context or meant to mean something that it's not. You know, I can remember um, probably like 16 or 17 years old, I was on a youth group trip of some sort. We were visiting a, a church, and um, I don't remember the, a, a lot of what was happening, but I remember the pastor was reading a passage. It might have even been this one, to be honest with you. Uh, and fasting came up, and I don't know why this sticks out of my brain. I mean, 16, that was like 20 years ago. Um, but he said something like, you see, fasting is something they did back in Bible days, and he just can, like brushed over it and kept on going. Now, I wasn't like bursting with discernment at 16 years old, but even then, I, I kind of tilted my head and went like, I don't think that's right. But that's really an attitude and kind of a prevailing thought uh, and an assumption, I think, of a lot of us when we come across this idea of fasting. We're like, oh, that's a Bible thing. That's what they did back in Bible days. Or like I, I joked about earlier, that's what super Christians did. But guys, I want to suggest to you that fasting is to be very much a part of our Christian experience, that Jesus assumed it would be a normative spiritual discipline in our lives. And I don't want us to fear fasting. I don't want us to be all, can, you know, worried about it. Let's, what does the Bible say about what fasting is and what it's not? And so that's what we want to do. We want to take a look at this. Amen. Are you guys with me? All right. So let's keep, yeah, I, I, I understand, like most of you are not. You're like, no, I'm not with you. I'm hungry. That's what I mean. You shouldn't have done this at the 11 o'clock service. Um, let's, let's do a couple things. Again, if you're a note taker, I encourage you to be um, it just helps to kind of process stuff, but otherwise just listen. Let me start with a pretty normal place to start. I want to define what fasting is. I want to talk about it just in the sense of a definition. It's always a good place to start. And when I talk about a definition, I'm talking about a biblical definition. If you're to look up fasting, that word to fast or fasting, in the Old Testament, Hebrew, or, or go to your concordance and find it in the New Testament, which was originally in Greek, whether you're talking about the Old Testament Hebrew or the New Testament Greek, the word is going to basically communicate one thing, and it is simply this, to abstain from eating food. Biblically speaking, that's what fasting is. It is to abstain from eating food. Now, it always does carry the connotation of denying of self. And not to take away from what Pastor Steve said earlier, and we're actually, I'll deal with that in a moment, but Biblically speaking, fasting isn't taking time off from chocolate or uh, social media. 
That's a good habit, and we should do that, and there's a lot of value that we can talk about in that. But biblically speaking, fasting is to abstain from food, to not eat food. Now, I'll build on that in a moment, but let me just insert right here a couple of things that fasting is not, okay? And this, I think, is important. Fasting is not, number one, an end in itself. Here's why I say that. Because people that want to be super spiritual or super religious will sometimes make fasting some kind of end in itself. Like, if you fast, you therefore, it, it equals, like, spiritual holiness or whatever. We don't practice asceticism as a church. We're not going to go up into the hills and become monks. Um, that's, you're borderline getting into Buddhism or Hinduism or, or just being a monk or something like that by saying, by virtue of the fact that I'm denying my, my, uh, the pleasures of my flesh, I am therefore like on a different plane of enlightenment or something like that. That is not what biblical fasting is. That's not what we're talking about. It's not an end in itself. Nor was it to be a badge of holiness. And this maybe bleeds into the, the last point I made. But that's what was happening, as I said, with the, with the Pharisees. You know, they were wearing their, their fasting as a badge of holiness. You know, coming out every week, oh, I'm fasting and, 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 I, and I'm clearly way more spiritual than you are. Oh, you're fasting? Uh, how long have you been fasting? Well, I've been fasting longer. You know, and they're like comparing it and, and showing off. We're not to do that. As we're going to see, fasting is a very personal thing between you and the Lord. Number three, uh, fasting, and this is a good one, is not a manipulation tactic with God. You know that maybe that thought has crossed your mind before. There are some people that kind of unfortunately do kind of fall into this where like God works on a quid pro quo kind of, you know, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. God, I fasted, you owe me. Can I remind us of something real quick? God owes us nothing except for maybe hell. That's what we deserve from God. He, we don't, he doesn't owe us a thing. We're not doing him a favor by denying ourselves. So it's not a manipulation tactic with God, like I really want that new motorcycle, I'll fight fast, I'll, whatever. Um, th that's not what we're talking about. So let's get off the negative, let's get on to the positive. If biblical fasting is not eating food, what, like, what does that mean? What does that look like biblically? Well, the first thing I want to say is that Fasting is found all through the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. We, we're going to go through lots of examples in a few minutes here. Um, but when you talk about biblical fasting, it's always in some way or another, and this is important, don't, don't miss this. It's always in one form or another connected with prayer and seeking God. It's always connected with prayer and seeking God. I mentioned to first service, it would probably be um, appropriate to before we talk about fasting, do like a 10-week series just on prayer. Because prayer is the key. It's prayer is everything. You know, Jesus taught on prayer before he brings up fasting. Jesus led a lifestyle of prayer. Jesus was always praying. He was going up in the hills to pray all night. He was getting up in the early, before, early in the morning before his disciples are awake to go seek the Father. Prayer is everything. It hinges everything. And prayer coupled with fasting is what we're talking about. Seeking God, not fasting just for a ritual sake or fasting for fasting's sake, but prayer and fasting. You guys got me on that? And, an, and a great way to think about prayer and fasting is this. Again, this is not complicated, but it's, but it's important. Prayer and fasting is, in essence, a setting aside, listen, a setting aside or a denying of the physical to prioritize the spiritual. Do you see there's two sides to the coin? 
It's a denying of a physical appetite, which is not a bad appetite. It's not sinful. It's a God-given good thing to have a, if you don't have a, you know, hunger appetite, there's actually something wrong with you. But you are putting that aside for the sole reason of seeking God. I love how Andrew Murray, and many of you guys have read Andrew Murray's stuff, um, he says, prayer is the hand which we grasp, with which we grasp the invisible. Fasting is the other hand, the one with which we let go of the visible. I like that picture. He says, with prayer is like one hand grabbing the invisible. Fasting is the hand we're letting go of the visible, the physical, the temporal. Does that make sense? So it's kind of that give and take. It's setting aside of your food intake for the purpose, for a purpose of, uh, period of time, for the purpose of seeking God. Now, why? We'll talk about it in a second. But that's kind of the essence of what it is. Now, I, I just want to kind of insert here that this is where a lot of us, especially in our American thinking, where we kind of check out. Because, and, and this is my opinion, so you can take it or leave it. I think a lot of us at this point are like, well, I just don't get that. And we try to just make it all cerebral. Like, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, there's a certain level, I guess, it makes sense. I can see the time element. I mean, think about it. In, in Bible days, you don't just roll up to the grocery store and get a pre-made sushi roll or something. Do you guys see that they're doing that at Costco now? Is that amazing? Like, it takes free samples to a whole other level. Anyways, um, you don't just go into the store and, and grab some pre-made thing. Like, to, to, to prepare a meal and then to eat the meal and to clean up after the meal, it's like hours. And then when you're done with that, you just switch gears and you get ready for the next meal. So, and actually, there's a very logical side to it in that if you're not doing that, if you're setting aside the, the gathering and the preparation and the eating and the cleanup, that actually saves you a whole lot of time. You could just say, I'm not going to use the time I would normally be spending on feeding my body. I'm going to use that time to seek God. So there's that, that logical element to it. But here's what I want to suggest to us is that we have to understand, I personally believe that there's an element of fasting and prayer that we just don't like because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. I believe there's a supernatural element to it. That there's something about telling my flesh no so that I can tell my spirit yes that is very good for me spiritually. Does that make sense? I don't know about you, but my flesh tries to rule the roost all the time. You, if you don't, well, I don't see why fasting is so hard. Well, try it. And not for just, like, diet purposes. Try it be for spiritual purposes. You, you, you cannot even be hungry. But you say, you know what, flesh? I'm going to skip a meal if that's cool with you and pray. And all of a sudden your flesh is like, oh, no, you are not. I'm starving to death. And then all you can think about is food, 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 food. Okay, you're fasting? Okay, but why you're fasting? Search recipes for what you're going to eat after your fast. I mean, you, can, you, you tell your body that you're going to skip a meal to pray and all hell will break loose in your body because your flesh wants what it wants when it wants it. You understand what I'm saying? And to tell your flesh no is sometimes just really good thing to do spiritually. So you know what? Shut up, flesh. You're not going to dictate every move I make and I'm going to press into the things of the Spirit. And there's something to that dynamic that I think is powerful and I think is biblical from time to time. Well, again, just to kind of recap that, we're talking about fasting. Abstaining from food for the purpose of pressing into the things of the Spirit, prayer and fasting. Now, here's where it gets interesting. If I lost you, come on back. 
But now we want to talk about the, well, why do, I mean, that's a natural progression of thought, right? Well, well then, but why would I fast? And, and then, like, well, how do I fast? And, and, like, when do I fast? Here's what's fascinating to me, and, and I've spent some time reading and searching the scriptures on this. It, what's fascinating to me is that you're not going to find in the Bible any definitive word on why to fast. There's not going to be one definitive teaching on when to fast except for perhaps Leviticus 23, the Day of Atonement, and I'll talk about that. And you're not going to find a definitive teaching in the Bible on how to fast. It's not going to tell you why or how or when. But what it does do is give you example after example after example after example example of people who did. Here's why I like that. Because there's such freedom in this. I think God did that on purpose. I'm so glad there's not all of these rules and regulations and times where we have to do it this way and for this amount of time and during this season. I'm so glad that's not in there. You know why? Because our sinful nature just, just gravitates towards religiosity. And we would just jump on this and, and we would like start comparing ourselves and be like, well, I'm totally fasting more than you are. and I'm totally doing it right. And we'd be all condemned like, oh, I failed at the fast, you know. I'm so glad that God left it open-ended. It's up to us. It's, it's between you and the Lord. It's a very intimate and personal thing, and I want us to grab a hold of that. Having said that, again, come on back. Having said that, though the Bible doesn't give us like real distinct um, lined out rules or, or how-tos of fasting, what it does give us is a multitude of examples and types of fasting. This is what I want to just share with you guys. Let me, let me give you some types of fasting that are found in the Bible. And you might want to jot these down. If you don't, don't worry about it, but just listen. Um, in the Bible, you will find those who do what we call a total fast. A total fast would be the fasting or abstaining from food and water. By the way, this is not a really suggested one. This is actually extremely rare, even in the Bible, like only a couple of instances. One was Esther. Do you guys remember Esther? And she was, she was uh, the queen, and their whole nation, the Jews, were on the brink of extinction. Evil Haman had made like a deal with the king to wipe out all the Jews, and they caught wind of it, and he goes to Esther, and he's like, Esther, you have to tell the king. You have to go to him, and you have to deal with this. And she's like, you don't understand. If I go before the king without being invited, it's, they could kill me. And he says, but you're here for such a time as this. And she says, okay, I'll do it, but first we're going to fast and pray. And she fasted and prayed for three days without food and water. And by the way, the nation was saved. It was amazing. Um, Paul, food, no food, no water for three days. Um, that is a very rare, exceptional thing because as you know, you, your body can go a lot longer without food than it can without water. Then it's, there's called what is called the normal fast, and that's usually what we're referring to. Um, you could throw in there Nehemiah, Ezra, Jesus, uh, the church in the New Testament. Um, a normal fast would be considered abstaining from food, but not abstaining from water, like drinking water. And then there's what is also, um, often called a partial fast, and that's kind of like a hybrid. A good example would be that of Daniel. You guys remember Daniel? Daniel stolen out of Jerusalem, taken to Babylon. He's faced as a teenager, 16, 17 years old, with the prospect of having to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. He didn't want to defile himself. He tells the guy in charge, look, just bring me vegetables. And he eats this diet of vegetables, and he fasts in that way. And, and a lot of people who fast today, they'll do some sort of Daniel fast. Anybody ever heard that term, by the way? A lot of us have heard that term. You know, maybe it'll be a juice fast or something like that. And that's cool. That's uh, 
got a biblical basis, I think. Um, you'll see in the Bible there's uh, individual fasts. In other words, an individual just between him or her and the Lord. You'll see a corporate fast. In other words, uh, a king you know, or a statesman like Nehemiah calling on the entire nation to come together and, and spend a time uh, fasting and praying. By the way, there's a, a, uh, a modern example of that. I didn't give it to first service because uh, second service is way holier and you guys get the extra goods. But um, historically, you guys remember the Battle of Dunkirk, right? World War II? May 26th. Uh, 1940, there was 400,000, almost 400,000 troops stranded, right, on the, on the, uh, the shores. And uh, anybody see the movie Dunkirk? It's a great movie. What they don't show in the movie is that uh, George VI actually called uh, in England for a day of fasting and prayer. And you can actually go online and find pictures of this where the churches are so packed in England that there's no room for the ch people in the churches anymore. And they're flooding out into the streets. And the whole nation prayed and fasted in England. And as you guys know, the clouds all of a sudden rolled in over Dunkirk. And the, the, the Nazi planes couldn't see the, the shores anymore. And every little boat owner and fisherman and everyone came across the English Channel and rescued over 335,000 British soldiers that day. So it's a great piece of history. What they'll always leave out is that the king called for a day of prayer and fasting. And so just an interesting little tidbit. Um, but so there's, there's that corporate calling together of, of prayer and fasting. You have examples of a one-day fast. You have examples of a three-day fast. You have examples of a seven-day fast. You have examples of a, a very rare 40-day fast. Jesus and Moses um, both did that. Okay, now, so you have all these kind of types and ways of, of doing fast. But now, this is where, and I know I keep saying this, I, I'm not trying to be all technical, but I am trying to be thorough. But this is where I think it could get very practical, and I really want you to tune in. Because now I think what we want to deal with is, well, why? I mean, you sitting there in your red chair in the brink of 2020, asking yourself, well, why would I want to take time to fast and pray? Like, what does this have any relevance to me whatsoever? I want to answer that by giving you some of the examples of why they fasted in the Bible. I'll start with, and this is, again, not exhaustive, but this is somewhat thorough, I guess. One example of why they fasted and prayed in the Bible and why you and I could is that of mourning, not mourning like as opposed to evening, but like mourning as in weeping, as in times of mourning. You have an example of David mourning over the loss of his friend Jonathan and his king Saul. The nation mourning over the loss of Moses, mourning over the loss of Saul. And maybe that's happened before to you. Maybe there's been a, a tragedy in your family. Maybe there's been a, a loss of a loved one. And by the way, I would kind of mention, sometimes this is almost like a forced fast. Like, you weren't planning on this. It's just the idea of even eating doesn't even cross your mind because you're so heartbroken and you're pressing in. And, and I would encourage you, if you're in one of those times of tragedy, to not just not only eat, but press into the Lord while you do that. The Bible says that he's near to those who have a broken heart. Another reason or example, I should say, of fasting in the Bible, and this one I think is particularly important, so please listen. During times of repentance, bear with me here for a second. During times of repentance. I mentioned earlier that the only biblical prescription for fasting is found in Leviticus chapter 23. It was for the Jews under the law 
And it was during what's called the Day of Atonement. Anybody ever heard that term, the Day of Atonement? So what the Day of Atonement, generally speaking, again, just go back and read it, I'll paraphrase it. The Day of Atonement was in general this. It was one day a year that the whole Jewish nation would afflict themselves. They would not eat, they would fast, and they would mourn. And what they were doing is mourning over their sin, listen, as a nation. Trip out on that for just, think about that. They were thinking about the ways they had violated God's laws as a nation, and they were repenting, and they were saying, oh, we're sorry. And the way that they would fulfill the Day of Atonement was fascinating. They would bring two goats to the high priest. The high priest would lay his hand on the first goat. In so doing, transferring symbolically the sins of the entire nation onto that innocent animal. And then he would take a knife and slit the throat of the animal and the blood would pour out and that thing would stagger and fall and die. And what would be communicated beyond any shadow of the doubt is that that innocent animal substitutionarily paid for the sins of the nation. Then they would take the other goat and they would symbolically transfer once again with the hand on the head of the goat the sins of the nation onto that goat and they would send that goat out into the Judean wilderness, into the desert, never to be seen again. By the way, the name of that goat would be called the scapegoat, where we get the term scapegoat. And the idea was this. The sins of the nation were paid for and forgotten about by God. And guys, by the way, Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of those two sacrifices because on the cross, he as a substitution paid for our sins and not only has he paid for our sins, but they have been sent away. He has forgotten our sins as far as the east is from the west. Amen? Little tidbit gospel there for you, but praise God. But all that to say is they would fast and pray and mourn over their sin as a nation. Nehemiah called for that. Daniel called for that. The prophet Joel called for that. Bear with me on this, but listen to what Joel wrote. Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, and tear your heart, not your clothes. Return to the Lord your God, because, listen, he is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. This is why I'm pausing on this point. Because, guys, this, I think, if there was ever a time in the life of the church, could it be it's now that we would do well to do this? To do what? Take some time corporately as a church and individually as a member of the church and say, God, would you search my heart? I repent. Show me where I sinned against you. You know, we're really good as a church at complaining. We watch Fox News, we watch CNN, and we come in and we complain about how the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, no, duh. It's the world. But what we really need to do instead of complaining is we need to say, Lord, show me where I've sinned, where I've failed. Convict me. The, the greatest need in the church, I really believe, is revival. Amen or no? It's revival. 
The greatest need of the hour in the church is revival. Not for the world to get its act together, but for the church to get its act together. That we would fall on our faces before God and stop capitulating and justifying and making uh, excuses for our sin and say, God, here it is. I'm not going to make excuses for it. I'm not going to promise I'll never do it again. I'm just going to say, I do this, and it's wrong, and I know it's wrong, and I repent, and I lay it at your feet. And I'm telling you, read the history of revivals in this world and in this nation, and every one of them is linked to prayer and fasting, and every one of them is linked to true repentance. Without repentance, there will not be revival. And the repentance that I'm talking about needs to start with me and it needs to start with this church and it needs to start in the church. Can I get a daring amen? Amen. I triple dog dare you to get on your face before God and be totally naked and brutally honest. No, I'm not taking naked physically unless you want, that's between you and God, but wow, I probably should have gone there, but um, naked of soul. Bear it all. Be brutally honest and say, God, here I am. I'm not going to play games or make excuses anymore. You see me, I see me. Let's talk. What do you want to share about my life? What do you see in me that needs to go? What am I watching on TV you don't like? What, what am I entertaining on my, in my mind? What kind of apps am I staring at that you don't like? What, what is it in my life, Lord, that just, not because I'm breaking some rule, but I'm just, it's, it's hurting my relationship with you. They would repent with, with fasting and prayer. Another reason um, that we can deduce from the examples that we have is not only mourning in time of repentance, but there were times when they needed divine intervention. I mean, think about I could give you example after example. David praying for his son, uh, Jehoshaphat, Esther, Nehemiah. I love the, actually the story of uh, Jehoshaphat there in Second Chronicles chapter 20. He's the king of the south. He's, 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 he's staring down the reality of, of these armies that are just going to wipe him out. He knows he's outgunned. He knows he can't, you know, outfight these guys. He calls for a fast for the whole nation. They all seek the Lord with fasting and prayer. You can read the story later, Second Chronicles chapter 20. It's a great story. But as he's praying to God, and I love this, he says, again, summing up, God, we don't know what to do. Uh, we're in trouble here. We don't know where to go or what to do, but our eyes are on you. I just love that last part. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We got no plan B. If you don't step in and help us, we're dead. Well, God goes on and in one night wipes out those armies and totally delivers them. And you might not need an army to show up, but I would venture to say that there are some of us in here right now that need divine intervention in our life in some way. You look at Nehemiah. Living in Babylon, his heart was for Jerusalem. Some of the pilgrims come back and he says, how's it going in Jerusalem? Tell me all about it. And they say, bro, it's horrible. The walls are broken down. The gates are burned with fire. He says, no, it shouldn't be like that. He's so heartbroken. It says he fasted and prayed and fasted and prayed and fasted and prayed because he knew something. God, you have to step in and fix what's broken. We need divine intervention. Do you need divine intervention? For God to step in, and are you at a place, and some of you, I know this is true, you're in a place in your life where unless God steps in and does something, there's no plan B, I'm done. My marriage is broken. My kids are broken. My finances are broken. My health is broken. The situation in our country is broken. And how we need to say, God, we need 
not more programs. We don't need more money being spent over here. Did you know that the church right now has more money, more buildings, more resources than they've ever had in the history of the world, and we are absolutely impotent, and we've lost our footing, and we have no power or influence in the culture hardly at all because we don't need more stuff. We need divine intervention. We need God to show up. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need Him to do something. Don't answer out loud, but just in the privacy of your heart, it's very possible you need Him to do that maybe in a lesser way in your life, maybe a healing, emotionally, physically, financially, a marriage. What if you got on your face for a couple of days and said, God, I'm not going to my friends. I'm not going to a counselor. I'm going to you. I need you to step in and help me. Whew. Crazy. Another example, not only mourning and repentance and divine intervention, but what about guidance? Ezra bringing a whole group of people from Babylon back to Jerusalem. And, and I love this. He gets to the river Ahava, and he says, he says he proclaimed a fast. Part of the story behind that, by the way, just as an aside because it's funny, is that he had told the king that he trusts God and he didn't need like a royal like military escort even though it was extremely dangerous to travel. He's like, oh no, we trust God. And then it says he was ashamed to ask him because he had told the king that. Does that make sense? He's like, oh, I don't need your military escort. My God can take care of us. He's like, okay, then go do that. And then he got out there and he's like, dang. And then he got scared. He's like, but I can't go ask him because I already told him that we don't need it. Let's pray. He's ever done that where it's like, Oh, my God can do anything. Really? Try it. Okay, let's pray. So they pray for like three days. But part of that whole story, I love this, is that it says they prayed that God would show them, quote, the right way. They needed guidance. They fasted and prayed for guidance. I know this is a stretch, but anybody in here ever feel like you need guidance in your life? <laughs> Who to marry? What job to take? Go to school? sell my house, buy that house, move here, go there. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of sad to me how often, and I'm guilty of this too, how often we make just unilateral decisions about our lives without checking in with God. And I think some of you guys are here this morning, and you're a season of decision, and you've got this thing in front of you. Maybe it is a sale of a house, or maybe it is a new job, or maybe it is a boyfriend or girlfriend, or am I going to go down this road? And you're go you, instead of just rolling right into that decision, can I encourage you? to stop at the river Ahava, so to speak, and stop and pray and just say, Lord, I'm going to take some time to get on my face before you and say, are you into this? And really, truly, not try to get God on board with you, but get on board with him. Amen? And then last example that I'll give this morning as we're going to wrap up here pretty soon. And by that I mean not real soon. Not only an example of mourning, repentance, divine intervention, or guidance, but I think this is a, perhaps one of the greatest reasons, biblically speaking, to fast and pray. Both examples come from the New Testament, Acts chapter 10, Luke chapter 2. In Acts chapter 10, we're told that there is a group of leaders from the church, including Barnabas and Saul, Paul, and it says they were gathered together, listen to this, and I'm just quoting from my mind, so I hopefully I'm not quoting it wrong, but it's Acts 13. It says they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The other example is Luke chapter 2. It's a, a woman named Anna. You might remember when they took Jesus to the temple to dedicate him, 
there was an old widow there named Anna, and it says that she spent her days just in the temple of God, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. Here's my point. There's a lot of great motives to fast and pray and examples that we have laid out, and I've given you a pretty good charge of them. With all of those, there's a need attached. What's unique about this one is it's a different kind of need. It's not a need for divine intervention or a divine, you know, for help in this or guidance in that. The, the motive in Acts 13 or Luke chapter 2 was simply this. I'm going to set aside food and my physical appetite for one reason, because I just want more of you, God. I'm hungry for you. Oh, I'm hungry physically, but I'm hungry spiritually. I need more of you in my life. I want to set aside even my food for a meal or two or whatever, just not to even necessarily ask you for anything, but just to be in your presence because I need you in my life. I want more of you, God. Amen? I'll tell you what, that's what gets my heart pumping. That's what I want in my heart is more of that where I'm just like, you know what, I do need a lot of stuff and I do need guidance and provision and intervention and that's great and I should ask God for those things. But I want the motive of my heart to be, I'm willing to set that aside because I just want more Jesus in my life because in his presence is the fullness of joy because in him is all that I need. Amen? And I love that. These guys just said, there's a greater hunger that trumps my, my physical hunger and that's my hunger for Jesus. Now, little asterisk on that, little by the way. In Acts 13, when they're gathered together just to worship and see God, you know what happens? One of the greatest moments in world history. The Holy Spirit says, set aside Barnabas and Saul for the work I have for them. And at that, it was from that prayer meeting that the Holy Spirit singled out Barnabas and Paul and sent them out and launched what we call world missions. He took the gospel to the world, including Europe, and turned the world upside down. And guess where it all started? The prayer meeting, worshiping God. They weren't there to get a vision for world missions. Do you understand what I'm saying? They were there just to be with Jesus. And the result was a world got turned upside down. I need my world turned upside down. And we need this world turned right side up, so upside down. And may the Lord just give us that hunger and desire to be in his presence. Amen? Now, so, so just, I'm, I'm going to button this baby up, but this is fasting. Jesus assumed it would be a part of our life to abstain from food with the emphasis of prayer, seeking God. Lots of different ways and how-tos of approaching it. Lots of different motives as to why, and we looked at those. But what does that, you know, kind of, you know, what does that mean for us as a church? As, as Pastor Steve mentioned earlier, what we want to do is on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and of course you're not limited to this. This is just a suggestion and something to put kind of feet to the sermon, right? So on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, that'd be the second, third, and fourth. What we're going to do is make prayer available here at the church. There'll be morning worship and prayer, noon worship and prayer, and evening worship and prayer those three nights. And you're welcome to come for five minutes or the whole hour. I'll kind of spearhead all of those and, and be here. Um, We'll read scripture together. We'll pray together. We'll worship together. And I would encourage you at some point during those three days, and maybe all of those days, if, if you can, to in some way, shape, or form, fast. And maybe you've never fasted before. Can I encourage you? Try it. 
And again, there's no condemnation. There's no heavy rules on this. I would encourage you to go pray and talk to God. Lord, how do you want me to approach this fast? He may put on your heart, you know what, just skip one meal during those three days. Or maybe one meal every day for those three days. Like you're going to skip lunch maybe for, the, for those three days. Or maybe skip a couple days. Or maybe just modify your diet and do like a juice thing for a day or two. You understand what I'm saying? There's all these different ways you can do it. I would encourage you to try that. On top of that, I would also encourage you to actually do something Pastor Steve mentioned, and that is to limit your distractions. A lot of times what hijacks our prayer time is that we are so stimulated. We're just used to stimuli all the time, right? Phones, do, 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 do. How crazy would it be if you're like, I'm going to give up social media for like a day or two. If you're like, oh, I couldn't do that, that's the very reason why you need to do that. Because if you're like me, man, I'm reaching for my phone. I'm reaching for my phone. And I'm like, why am I even looking at my phone right now? Because I guarantee in the last 36 seconds, there wasn't something that changed the score of the game I was just watching. I'm always just checking, check, 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 check. Look, I'm not saying social media is bad. I'm just saying we're hooked on it. And you'll, you'll be surprised how much time and focus you'll have. Lay it down for a day. Or maybe it's a certain food, whatever. You know, TV, Netflix, whatever. Lay it aside for the purpose, along with maybe modifying your diet, to seek God. Well, what do I pray for? I don't know. Figure it out. I just gave you a bunch of reasons. In all seriousness, can I give you something to pray about? I would say pray for a breakthrough. And I don't like to use that word because it's, it's become very a Christian word. Break, we need breakthrough, brother. What does that mean? I'll give you a dictionary.com definition of what it means. Here's what breakthrough means. A military movement or advance all the way through or beyond an enemy front line. An act or an instance of removing or surpassing an abstraction, restriction, or to overcome a stalemate. Any significant or sudden advance, development, achievement, or increase that removes a barrier to progress. How many of you can say, I need a spiritual breakthrough? I'm in a spiritual stalemate. I'm not moving forward. I need to go. I need the Lord to push me forward. Pray for that. Pray for revival. Pray for your kids. Pray for the church. Pray for the nation. Pray, just be quiet and listen to God. Read the Bible. Just seek Him. I guarantee it's going to be so hard. I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to be hard. Because your flesh is going to be like, this stinks. Just want a burger. But try it. Don't put yourself under condemnation or hard rules, but just say, you know, I'm going to step out in faith in this whole fasting thing. I'm going to stretch myself a little bit. I, I, I have a good friend who's a missionary in France right now. You know, in France, 0.1% evangelical Christian. It's a, Europe is a mission field in itself. It was during our week of prayer and fasting in my old church that we had that the Lord woke him up in the middle of the night, and he and his wife were on their knees, on their faces, praying for some reason for France. It wasn't too long after that that they're now pastoring a church and launched out into missions in France because of a week of prayer and fasting. I, I share that just to say I have no idea what God wants to do in your life, but he wants to do something. And I really will end now, and the worship team can come up to kind of remind me that I'm ending. Um, I, I printed out a whole bunch of these. They're out in the foyer if you guys want to grab them. This is just kind of a nuts and bolts thing. It's seven practical steps to prayer and fasting by Bill Bright, who, who founded Campus Crusade for Christ. I just want to read 
the quote that he starts with, and we'll end on it. He says, I believe that the power of fasting as it relates to prayer is the spiritual atomic bomb that our Lord has given us to destroy the strongholds of evil and to usher in a great revival and a spiritual harvest all around the world. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you that you um, want to do more in us and through us than we could possibly imagine. I don't know if these guys are challenged by this, but I'm challenged by this. And I realize because I'm teaching it, I've got to lead the way (laughs) with example. And that's hard for me. But Lord, I want to pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would meet us as we step out in faith and we take you up on your word and we launch out into this thing. I pray, God, you would give fresh revelation to the leadership of the church. I pray, God, you would give breakthrough. I pray, God, that you'd guide people and help people and give direction for people and Lord, you would help us to just have a greater hunger for Jesus through all of this. We just give you this new year, Lord. We want your heart. We don't want to stay in the same place we've been. We want to move forward. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.